0: On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome back to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we conclude our discussion, Exploring Our Community, Defining Health Disparities, between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Dr. Goldie Bird, Director of the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity and Wake Forest School of Medicine Professor of Social Sciences and Health Policy. When we last left them, Dr. Bird was addressing health equity in our communities as it relates to racial and socioeconomic differences and some of the work the Maya Angelou Center for Health and Equity is doing to address these challenges, not only academically, but practically. Let's rejoin the conversation.
1: So uh, along those same lines, um, and you're thinking about reaching them from a study perspective, even reaching them from a more sort of, um, I'll use the term boots on the ground, sort of um, uh, at the bedside, for lack of a better term, uh, mentality. um, What are the mechanisms you go by to reach those people? What is faith? sort of faith institutions play? What role do they play in um, helping reach these people and, and gaining trust? Because I think we're sort of talking a little bit on the fringes of, of do these populations of people trust us either as an organization or the healthcare system to, to, to do what we say we're going to do, right?
2: Absolutely. I'm so happy you asked that question because one of the things that we've done in the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity is to partner with Of course, our faith health group here at Wake, but we have done an extra thing with African-Americans because they they are particularly disproportionately underrepresented in studies and clinical trials. And again, in our ISP program, one of our goals is to increase interest and motivation. And the way we do that is through education and and improving what what communities know about science and, and studies and research and health Uh, in a way to build trustworthiness. So we like to to situate trust in a trustworthiness context, if you will. And the way we want to do that is is to say that Wake is here. We recognize some of the atrocities in science and medicine that have occurred here and at other medical schools. Um, But we are here now to be a much more positive and much more um, giving resource than we have been in the past. So how do we, so we've spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about how we as researchers and how we as an institution can become much more trustworthy of Mm -hmm. communities' time and involvement in our studies. So one of the things we did in the center, in our center is to engage 109 African-American churches in the region. And we said that we wanted to first start out with improving the health of their congregations. And we wanted to do that through health promotion. So we wanted to create, in each of those churches, we wanted to create health ministries and that we would partner with the School of Medicine, with our affiliate faculty, with people like you who could help us bring health and awareness into these churches, in their spaces. So we begin with what we do for them before we begin to ask them to do anything. And so we we wanted to do that as a a first rate way to create, to begin to create trustworthiness in those communities. Mm -hmm. Once we are able to do that, we can then open dialogue about study participation, other resource access to Wake Forest. And so I'm so excited about that. Our pastors and faith leaders—it's a cross faith. It's not just Baptist people. Um, <laughs> really excited that, that we have now connected with these, and they're really interested in improving in improving health in their in their congregations and, and surrounding communities. So we have engaged them in in very powerful conversations, and we're going—we're asking them to help us uh, to lead us and guide us through. A strong health-related partnership.
1: You know, about four years ago, Harvard University Medical School released a study on the intersect between um, uh, health and uh, well-being and spirituality. And yes. and one of the one of the key takeaways from it was, in absence of a conversation with clergy people, uh, if they have strong faith traditions, um, they are far less. They are far more likely. Excuse me. Um, to uh, to experience uh care that is inconsistent with what they're looking for what their values may actually be um and so i know most recently just if i may if if you'll indulge me for just a moment in a recent conversation i had with a lady in our own office who we were talking this is about a COVID vaccine and we were having a conversation related to uh, its safety and efficacy and all of that and and it was it, it didn't matter what i sent her or gave her it mattered that her pastor had that conversation with her congregation at her most recent time at church. And these are her exact words to me. He said he couldn't tell us whether or not to take it or not. But he said he was going to. And she said in her own words, that has weighed heavily on my heart and my mind. Now, I'd connected her with all the scientific sort of accessibly information that she could find, that I could find to help her make a well-informed decision, but that didn't matter. What mattered is that she had a conversation in her faith community. Yes. That mattered most to her. Yes. That, was, that was powerful. That's yes. powerful. I
2: think. And it's so important to know what those, those, uh, in, who those influencers are and to work respectfully and and in a dignified way with them. We just had a a webinar a couple of weeks ago. We had 23,000 people to access that webinar on vaccine uptake. These were all African-Americans, I bet maybe 95% African-Americans. And we did that because the Bishop of an organization actually accessed all of his thousands of churches and said, be on this webinar tonight at, 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 at seven o'clock. And so because he did that, we were able to connect with so many people. We had people in the chat saying, now I'm going to go ahead and take the vaccine. He actually had a little video on that, on that webinar too, showing his getting the, uh, getting the vaccine. So no, understanding these influences and working with them with reciprocity in ways that that they win and we win and, and our communities win is so important, and we're learning; they're teaching us a lot.
1: Yeah, it's 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 as much about um, acceptance as it is about trust, right? I think Absolutely. they sort of go it's hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, it it it's as much about both of those. So, mm-hmm. so it's it's so interesting to me. You know, what are what are the solutions that you begin to see happening? in the community, in the region? um, Where do you see us going from here?
2: So that's a great question around health. Um, So one of the things that that I've I've been reading quite a bit uh, about uh, is is how this community, in this, we're in region three, uh, how this region looks uh, in terms of disparities in health, in terms of life expectancy, in terms of education, attainment. Um, so the first step always is to become educated about what's happening. And then begin to understand what it will take to move some needles. And that will take all of us, quite frankly. Um, we have been working closely with an elementary school uh, just to get vaccines uh, you know, so that the kids can stay in school. So there's so many, it's multi-layered. Um, We are working of course with with influencers all over the community. And and it's hard because for a small center like ours to really know where to enter the pipeline. um, But we believe with um, voices from the community and we've done quite a bit of that, hearing communities and understanding their priorities and then trying to connect with the appropriate people who are already working on some of these social drivers of health And I think one of the hardest things, Trent, is is to make sure we're not isolated, to make sure that we're connecting with the right people, Mm -hmm. um, make sure we're not trying to reinvent wheels. We often get isolated and siloed. Um, But the the city is making some positive moves, and we're just going to try to connect as well as we can. We're going to use those four pillars that I talked about to improve access, to improve that next generation of people who will be responsible for good health outcomes. Um, certainly the, the awareness and literacy around health and management of health, uh, management of disease. Uh, so we have a lot on our plates right now, but right. I think understanding what the true disparities are in our region and working with state and, and, and federal agencies to try to help move the needle, as well as business owners. It's going to take a lot
1: sure, uh,
2: to, to really address those social determinants. I've been asking other people that very same question. And I think <laughs> there there's a lot of uh, 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 concern about how we really do impact communities, because that's where it has to happen.
1: Yeah, at the grassroots level, at I couldn't grassroots. agree more. Um, it, it absolutely does, because if we if we thinking about acceptance and trust, if we if we're unable to to make inroads with the at the the census tract level, for example, to yes. use urban planning term, um, if we aren't able to connect with the neighborhoods and the streets around where we know disparities exist, then how can we begin to think about um, even contemplating and 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 crafting strategies that really begin to uh, begin to affect them in a positive way.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have too many distressed communities, Mm -hmm. Uh, communities with low socioeconomic status, communities with environmental hazards, communities where the unemployment rate is disproportionately uh, high. So we have, then we have, you know, where the education attainment is so low. Uh, and students and there, there are in their areas in East Winston-Salem, as an example, where the third grade reading level is 27% among African-American kids. Wow. So uh, there are just atrocities, uh, and that kid is not going, the kid who can't read at the third grade is probably not going to read at eighth grade or twelfth grade, and they'll never get into Wake Forest or Winston-Salem State University with that, with that, that kind of uh, uh, reading problem. So, there, and I know that there are efforts to improve that here. But people need to know that those kinds of disparities exist. And not only will that kid not be able to go to college and not get a good job, maybe, and that child may already be in poverty and will remain in poverty, and, and then the health outcomes of that kid will be poor, which will cost that kid, that kid's family, and all of us, quite frankly
1: coming back to that $93 billion nationally that we sort of began our conversation with, and it really does begin a a, have a a cumulative effect. It sounds like what you're talking about and describing is an incredibly holistic approach that really is incumbent upon all of us, not just as as individuals, but organizations like ours and centers like yours and, and learning uh, institutions like uh, uh, Wake Forest uh, School of Medicine to really begin to, to affect all of this. Yes.
2: And, and, I, and again, I so applaud you uh, for this series to help others understand, um, you know, what this landscape looks like. Uh, and I think awareness will, will help all of us to do better. I
1: appreciate that. I I do. You know, our goal is to really help people who are listening to us and connected with our organization to understand that the health disparities or social um, disparities in in our communities may be far more pervasive than we thought. Yes. And may affect different groups that we don't normally associate because of a stereotypical sort of bias that we may have. Yes. Um, it, it it has a wide ranging effect on a lot of different populations.
2: Absolutely. And and we, you know, we 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 do we do a good job of separating people based on what we think where they we think they need to be, but we really don't know those nuances in those groups in those communities. We we simply don't know enough of that about that. And so so we make assumptions uh, but we, we the facts are always better. And studies, we need more studies, more population studies in that so that we can understand the differences and the commonalities, I think, uh, is, is another area. It's what do all of us need? All of us need certain basic things sure. and opportunities, yeah. And, and I
1: suspect you talked a little bit about uh, Winston-Salem, which I know is where the center is. You've spent a lot of time at a and um, uh, in Greensboro. Um, and, and we are in High Point, though we serve a very large segment of the, of the Piedmont Triad, Region 8 counties of the Piedmont Triad. So, you know, talk a little bit about High Point. You know, I mean, I suspect that their shared experience is not unlike that of Winston-Salem or Greensboro, because the commonalities are just that, common.
2: Absolutely. And High Point um, is, has, has some very poor counties. Uh, more, I'm sorry, has very poor communities. Uh, there's High Point University and it's great, but there are communities around High Point University that are really distressed. And so we have pastors there in our network that we're working with to improve health, um, health, health ministries there. We certainly want to move out. We, our, our Triad Pastors Network Network is just that. It's a network, but it's a bridge to community. And so we will be working with the pastors there connect us to not only their congregants but but the people around them so we will have a large footprint in high point um and not just african americans Uh, our our network is african americans so we just started with that group but Mm -hmm. we are not just an african-american center so yes we will be in high point
1: very good well we look forward to partnering with you all as you uh, find your way in High Point and partnering with you all on, on a number of important initiatives that I know you all are working on. We, we believe our, our uh, responsibility um, is, uh, extends not only to the health and well-being of the community, but also to raise the level of awareness and, and, and insights that the community may need about the community that they live in and that surrounds them.
2: Absolutely, and we are looking forward to partnering with you on that. So we're gonna we're going to be thinking about that immediately after this call.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Bird, you know, as we think back over the last forty-two minutes or so of our conversation, is there is there something that you feel like we you really want people to know? And and one of the things that I know that we have talked about. Um, is the, the North Carolina Office of Minority Health? You know, th- we're talking about a not only a regional issue or a city-based issue. Um, th- there is there is even a, a state office that has been you know, established to begin addressing these issues because we understand that it is, has such an impact on the lives of North Carolinians and, and not just on their lives, but also on the cost of, of healthcare that's delivered and, and the way we interact with them, going back to that $93 billion nationally. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about that and then any other things that you'd like our our viewers and listeners really to take away from our conversation today?
2: Well, yes, thank you. And, and let me say that that office is the Office of Minority Health, and health disparities. And its director is Mr. Cornell Wright. And we are working closely with Cornell, particularly with the, the COVID vaccine uptake and testing. And I would encourage anyone who is interested in health disparities to visit that website. And they have a wonderful report that they put out just a couple of years ago on the disparities in health. And I believe Ryan has put that up on in the chat. So I would encourage everyone to take a look at that and to get involved in some way. I, I conduct research in Alzheimer's genetics and, and there's, that's a huge disparity. Uh, Alzheimer's occurs twice more in African-Americans, one and a half times more in Hispanic Americans. Uh, Two thirds of cases are in women. We were just talking about not only ethnic and racial groups but also different other differences. And, um, you know, we are we're looking for people to assist us with that project, to get interested and involved, help us get people to resources. Certainly, Trent, um, people who have, uh, folks who, who have this disease in their families, certainly reach out to hospice often for, for uh, not only for information, but opportunities to get connected. And so this is a disease that um, we're very happy to be partnering with Laura Baker and Suzanne Kraft here at the ADRC, Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. And this is a disease that's only gonna get worse because we're living longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have fewer children to take care of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, we we benefit from all of the technology and and, um, medicine that that help us with that. So we're living longer. And so this this is one disease that's going to triple unless there's a big intervention uh, or uh, there's no cure for it. So at at this point, so with that one, there, there are many others, you know, there are disparities with diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer. um, And, and, and the the big thing that we like for people to leave with today is that these diseases don't just happen. They happen because of these social drivers of health the way people live, where they live, access to care. So all of these things come together and I would just encourage anybody to get involved in understanding these social drivers and understanding how they relate to health um, and then figure out how we all can help in some way. And if it's at the community-based level, great. If it's at an academic or it's community-based organization level, we all can do something. And I would just love for all of us to get involved in improving the lives of everybody so that we have they have equitable chances of good health outcomes.
1: I, I certainly hear that as a as a tremendous inspiration and challenge at the same time to everybody who is connected um, with our organization um, or maybe listening to this, watching this today or listening to this later um, at at a later time. I I certainly hear that. And and I think that it is incumbent upon all of us to do our part. You know, That's something that I've said so very much during this time of COVID, right? Um, That we must all do our part to care for each other. And I think this is perhaps one silver lining in an otherwise incredibly dark and ominous cloud that we can take out of uh, the last year is that we all may emerge from this with a sense of belonging um, and sense of responsibility more to one another. Yes. Our ability to truly impact um, what happens to the people around us, whether they're directly connected with us or even people that we may not always see or think about but know are equally important.
0: Thank you for joining us for our discussion, Exploring Our Community, Defining Health Disparities. Join us next time as we welcome special guest, Giselle Mouncey, director of the YWCA Latino Family Center, for Exploring Our Community, Identifying Health Disparities. Together, Trent and Giselle will identify health disparities specific to the Latino community and common concerns related to healthcare accessibility. We hope you'll join us. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini. And this has been the E-Series.